Thursday, February 12th, 2009, three days ago, is there golden treasure buried in a South Texas creek? Using Google Earth, a Los Angeles-based musician named Nathan Smith thinks he's found a lost treasure ship that sank somewhere north of Corpus Crispy, or Corpus Crispy. It's <laughs> awesome. Can you edit that? Um, sorry. I read good. North of Corpus Christi during a hurricane in 1822. But the owners of the land won't let him dig unless a court rules that the Muddy Creek is indeed navigable waters, in which case the federal government will decide. A recent book called Lost Treasures of American History got Smith to noodling around on his computer. An intriguing pattern near the small town of Refugo spurred him to drive nonstop to the Gulf Coast from Los Angeles with a metal detector in hand. <clears throat> now, I don't know about all of you, but the, the whole treasure movie thing, the treasure hunt movie thing, is uh, something I love. I, I, I kind of am one of those people that is inspired after I see a movie like A National Treasure or something else. But my favorite movie of all time that has to do with treasure hunting is Goonies. If you are a Goonies fan, lots of Goonies fan. All right, yeah. Pinches of peril, pinches of... Okay, but anyways... Um, but that movie, man, it's got all of the, the ingredients of a hit. I mean, it had, you know, Sean Austin and, and, and Corey Feldman. I mean, those two guys were the combo back then. But, but it had the whole thing of, of treasure and the, the Goonies phrase is never say die. And so you're a kid and you're like, you're eating this up. You're like, man, I want to go on an adventure. And there's something about that that we just pursue. And we're like, I love that. And for me, Goonies is that movie, you know, One-Eyed Willie, Chester Copperpot, all those people that are involved just make it such a great story. And now whether it's like the Pirates of Caribbean or National Treasure or, you know, Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Night, Indiana Jones, any of those treasure hunting movies, they always have this reoccurring denominator, common denominator kind of thing going on in them. And that is, it will make a grown man wait till his wife is asleep to go downstairs and rip up his floor to see if there's a treasure map <laughs> underneath his kitchen floor. Or I will go in my attic knowing good and well that I have no inherited treasure maps in my attic, but I will look through my stuff just in case there is a treasure map. But ultimately, the common denominator, the real common denominator to those movies is very simply, there is something that is happening to them, there is something going on, there is a situation that is causing a dissatisfaction with the way things are in the hopes to make things better. Whether somebody has been kidnapped and they have to find this treasure to get the person that they love from being kidnapped returned to them, or they want to change their status. There's a treasure that can make them really wealthy, but it ends up being this like moral lesson of it's the journey. We, we let the treasure go, you know, collapse in the earthquake. And I'm like, what? You went on that journey and you let all the gold go, but the, the whole thing is the journey. And there's amazing things that happen in us when we see something like that, because all of us love that pursuing something. I mean, I will come to my wife after going to like 15 stores looking for one thing and go, Doreen, I got this shirt for a dollar. <laughs> it took me five hours and I spent $30 in gas, but I got this shirt for a stinking dollar. There's something in us that loves to show that we hunted for something and we found it and we got to it and we caught up to it. And I don't know what it is. But John Piper puts it this way, and I absolutely love this quote. I use it all the time, but he says this. He says, all men thirst, but not all thirst for God. We are the only species of God's creation afflicted and blessed with chronic longing. Dolphins are content to frolic in the sea. Dogs are content to lie in the sun. Frogs are content to bump their bellies from pond to pond. But man is not content. 
He is afflicted with chronic restlessness. Everything we set our hand to gets old. We fight without success against boredom. Fad after fad, fashion after fashion, challenge after challenge. Leave us thirsty in the end. We are afflicted and blessed with a chronic restlessness, an insatiable soul thirst for this reason, that we might keep looking until we find Christ. And that having found him, we might be turned back to him again and again when we taste of other springs and find them bitter. We were made for God, but we have become sinners. And the fundamental meaning of sin is thirsting for things other than God. Now here's the whole picture of this is something that is in us, that, that, that seeking and finding, it's in us. It is who we are. It's put in us so that we might find Christ. And the interesting thing about Psalms is where you find all of these verses on seeking, um, it's honestly an obsession with the psalmist. It's, it's almost a little creepy sometimes to read some of the words from the Psalms because they are very honest. They are very real. They are not shiny, happy Christians. You know, I'm all happy. I'm happy. There's some anger involved. There's some rage. There's depression. There's hurting. There's pain. And they are very, very honest. But we find one in Psalm 63. Listen to the psalmist's words. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. Earnestly means an intense, um, you are serious about this. And an earnest search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. That is someone who is obsessed with something, whether you're a treasure hunter or whatever, man, you go to sleep thinking about something. All of us go to bed thinking about something. And those are the things that we are pursuing, and for the psalmist, it is the Lord. And what is, I guess, the question that I wrestled with in, in thinking about this, the million dollar question is well, how in the world does someone go from being obsessed with the things of the earth to obsessed with the Lord? How does someone go from being so consumed with their own stuff that they become so consumed with the Lord? What causes the shift? What causes the transformation? What causes the the desire change? What causes all of those things? And it's very interesting because uh, I want you to hear this, and I don't want you to read too deeply into this. A Chinese philosopher, Meng Si, said this, Before a man can do things, there must be things he will not do. Now, do not look too deeply into this phrase because it's saying what it's saying. Before a man can do things, there must be things he cannot do. He will not do. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. A person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the way of the Christ follower. And here, here's the deal. As long as you and I keep thinking that the next elected government official is going to bring hope to us, you're probably not going to choose the hard road of faith. As long as you keep thinking, as long as we keep thinking that maybe it's the next scientific breakthrough that's going to bring us hope, chances are you will not choose the way of the Christ follower. As long as you keep thinking that the next pay raise is going to get me what I want in life, chances are you are not going to choose the hard road 
of faith. Now, what we see in the Psalms is that very thing going on, a wrestling, um, an understanding of going, man, things are not okay as they are. Timothy, actually, um, it's very interesting to me to read um, in 2 Timothy, this is what Paul says. This is the kind of the surrounding of today. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. In this, we find a motivation to go, I am fed up with the way things are. But the psalmist echoes these words. And and, and in Psalm 120, we actually find the beginning of what is called the Songs of Ascent. In Jerusalem and in in the Israelite nation, there were three times a year that the Israelites would journey to Jerusalem for festivals in particular. And on their way to Jerusalem, they would sing these. There's, you know, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 143 or 134, they actually are songs that were sung probably in order as they journeyed toward Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was literally on a mountain, so it was a song of ascent literally because you were going up, but it was also a song of ascent metaphorically, meaning you were preparing your heart. You were shifting your heart, your heart and your attitude away from the things of the earth towards the things of God. And so what they did in this journey was they were preparing. And so it's a song of ascent. These were songs preparing their hearts, reminding of whom they were, reminding of who they were and where they were headed, and reminding them of who God is. And so in Psalm 120, verses 1 and 2, this is the first two lines you see these, the Hebrew people declaring on their journey. I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him and he answered my prayer. Rescue me, O Lord, from liars and from all deceitful people. In verses 6 and 7, he says, I am tired of living among people who hate peace. I search for peace, but when I speak of peace, they want war. This psalm is not pretty. It is not fluffy. It is not good feelings. It is an honest cry of, I am in serious trouble here. And here, I really do want peace. But the minute somebody wrongs me, I will go all UFC upside their head. That is what this psalm is saying. And he's going, I am sick of that. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of that response. I'm tired of my heart just being that way. It's nasty. It's gross. But it doesn't stop with a complaining of, man, things stink. What is happening in the psalmist's heart is something is stirring, a longing for something that is new. Something that is growing in him is not causing him to just stay at, man, things these are just bad. Because a lot of us can do that. A lot of us can recognize, man, there's a, this is just junk, man. There's so much stuff wrong with the world today. But what is happening in the psalmist's heart is it is stirring something new. For us, the deceiving that may be the liars that we need to be rescued from is from, I mean, God, rescue me from the lies of, that advertisement says that if I don't have their product, I'm going to be empty or God, rescue me from the lies of the movies and the media that glorify sin and boast about it. Rescue me from that. Lord, ultimately, rescue me from people that try to explain life apart from Christ. You see, there is a very real cry in our hearts, man, when we recognize, man, there's just something that's messed up. You can stay there or you can go, you know what? That new thing that the Lord is stirring, I may just pursue him with it. 
It causes a transformation in us as we begin to go, things are not okay as they are, and they're not getting any better. That is what is happening in the psalmist's heart, is that things are stirring. Now, as you continue, um, you know, we read about the whole thing of how things are, and the people are lovers of money, and we're selfish, and we're, you know, there's people that are going to act religious, or stay away from I mean, there's just so much motivation to answer the Lord's call. In Jeremiah 29, 13, this is what he says. He says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Some translations say earnestly, and an earnest, earnest search is a serious and intense search. Shannon showed a picture last week of the, you know, the creation of the world where God is kind of like reaching out and his veins are popping out of his head. I mean, it's just like, just an intense reach. And the man's kind of like, hey. And that picture makes me so angry because I know it's me. That's me. Look, the Lord is intensely pursuing us and we're sitting here going, hey. I guess, I mean, it just makes me so angry that that's my response to the, to the hungry, just the pursuit that the Lord has, is out there and I'm just kind of, eh. And this verse, working with teenagers, I just, and this may be something that does or does not apply to you, but when I deal with teenagers, I hear this excuse all the time. I hear this response all the time when I'm talking to them. They say, you know what, I've tried this Jesus thing and it just ain't working for me. Can I be very honest with you all in this room? Jesus never said, why don't you give me a try? Jesus very intently said, follow me. And if people chose not to, he moved along. They have the opportunity to follow him. Jesus said, give up your life so that you'll find it. Those are not try me kind of words. Do you understand? And that's, and that's where I see through scripture, the common theme is seek me wholeheartedly. And in Isaiah, it's very interesting because the Lord knows that we're going to try and seek him with our stuff. We're going to hold on to it, whether it be money, finances, um, a loved one, or sin, or whatever it is. We try and seek him with hands full. And the Lord's like, no, 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 no. That is not an earnest search, because if you are earnestly searching, you drop things. You know what? Things kind of fall to the side. You lose stuff. You lose things that are, you know, in the Jeep on the way through the jungle. Stuff falls off your Jeep. You don't care, because you're headed toward the treasure. doesn't matter. In Isaiah chapter 55, this is what the Lord says. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. Guys, there is a turning that happens. When that stirring happens, you can't seek sin and God at the same time. There will come a point in your life, it is a breaking point where you will choose sin or you will choose him. And you will pursue one of the two. You can't pursue him holding things. And that is a very difficult truth for us to wrestle with. Amos chapter 5, this is what God says. God's message to the family of Israel, seek me and live. Don't fool around at those shrines of Bethel. Don't waste time taking trips to Gilgal. And don't bother going down to Beersheba. Gilgal is here today and gone tomorrow. And Bethel is all show, no substance. So seek God and live. You don't want to end up with nothing to show for your life but a pile of ashes, a house burned to the ground. For God will send just such a fire the firefighters will show up too late. Guys, honestly, I'm a very visual person, so when I read verses like this, and it may be wrong, but I think it's right, I see the Terminator, come with me if you want to live. 
I don't know if it's right. I don't know if it's theologically correct. But the Lord has given me a very visual mind when I read things like that. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is just big and strong, you know, and so we talk about that. But that is what I see. And it's interesting the Lord mentions these cities. Bethel was, was originally the place called the house of God. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was for a period of time. And then Hosea later names it Beth-Avon, meaning house of harlotry. Meaning that it originally started out as a, as a place where the Lord was sought. But now it's a place where idols were sought. And false teachings and false ideas and spiritualism that was not related to, to God. And then Gilgal was another place that started out loving the Lord. And then they turned to idols. And so the Lord's like, look, don't go there. Seek me and live. Do not go there. And so as you continue, the second psalm of the psalm of ascent is a verse that just really echoes all of that. You know, the first one is I'm fed up with this stuff, but it's causing a stirring in me. In Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, this is what it said. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's an exclamation point there. I think sometimes we read scripture in the wrong voice. I think sometimes we're like, my help who made heaven and and earth. No, 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 no. There is an exclamation point there. It is, I don't look to mountains. If nothing good comes from there, my help comes from the Lord. There's a very difference. There's a very big difference in the way you say that. And what's interesting, and maybe you need to picture it this way. For, for me, like I am one who pays great detail. I used to be anyway. I used to be someone who pays great detail to where we were going. Like if I was riding shotgun in a car somewhere, I would pay awesome detail to wherever we were going. So does the person in the driver's seat got died or had a heart attack, I could at least drive us back to my house. I don't know what we'd do there, but I at least could get home from wherever we were. And I used to pay great detail to those things, but my parents, for my birthday, got me this thing, a, a GPS. And do you know what GPS means? It means I no longer use my brain. That's what GPS means. Um, it's very interesting because I've always been very skeptical of those things because I'm like, how's that computer? That crazy lady don't know uh, nothing in that machine. I mean, she's like, turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right. I'm like, what? How can I take two lefts and a right at the same time? That doesn't make any sense. So I have dubbed our GPS crazy lady. So anytime she says something, I'm like, whatever, crazy lady. Um, But in that whole journey process, Doreen and I went to Florida um, a year ago or so, and I borrowed my mom's GPS. I was like, let's just check this thing out. Luckily, I had been to the place that we were headed, and so I knew where we were going. But I was like, let's just see what Tom Tom has to say about this. And so we get to, I know where our turn is coming, and she's not saying turn right. She's just saying, continue ahead one mile, you know, whatever, how they say it. You can get Mr. T on there now, voices and all that stuff. That'd be kind of weird to hear directions from him, but... Um, it came to this point where it said, in 500 yards, turn right. And I'm like, okay, we get 500 yards, we're turning down a dirt road. I'm like, interesting. In 500 yards, you have reached your destination. 500 yards, we are nowhere near anything. In fact, when I heard the words, you have now arrived at your destination, we were in the middle of an orange grove. Now, there is a very... That's a problem. Sometimes 
You just have to stop trusting Garmin and TomTom. My wife tells me all the time because I'm like, no, it's a computer. It should know everything. I don't have to think anymore. It takes all of the responsibility out of it. I mean, I don't have to do anything now. My wife's like, sometimes you just got to stop listening to TomTom and Garmin. Ultimately, in Psalm 121, you see a, the psalmist is saying, when I look up to the mountains, my help doesn't come from there. He wasn't literally saying that those mountains are going to save me. Although today, I think you could probably YouTube a video of someone crying out to a mountain to save them. You, I mean, anything. You can worship anything. And what, but what he was saying is, on this journey to Jerusalem, around the mountains that were around them, those were basically the hotbed of the New Age stores. You can go and get your power crystals there, your dream catchers, your fertilize, fertilized you know, idols and your, your, your relics and all those things that are supposed to give you strength, your rabbit's foot, whatever you need. And what the psalmist was saying is, on this journey to Jerusalem, I don't need any of that junk because my help comes from the, the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. You hear that? I mean, like, that's what he's yelling on the way to Jerusalem. And that is where the shifting has happened. It's a, man, things stink. They are not good the way they are. And there's a stirring. And that stirring has been put there by the Lord so that we might seek him while he is near. Um, And that's ultimately... The invitation, the mystery, the supernatural experience of a Christ follower because his call is very simply this, seek me. He did not say, seek me for this. He did not say, seek me for all these things. I mean, I I totally understand the power of prayer. I understand that we bring our requests to him. But here's the deal. God is still God should he choose to not answer our prayers the way we want them answered. And you know what? We don't like to hear that. Nine times out of ten, we seek with an agenda. Nine times out of ten, we got a plan, God. How about you work it out this way? When I look at Scripture, what I see from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, is an invitation to just seek Him. The Psalms are full of of them. Psalm 69, 32 says this, the poor in spirit see and are glad. Oh, you God seekers, take heart. Psalm 105, 3, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Psalm 27, 4, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Psalm 119, 2, joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Psalm 105.4, search for the Lord and for his strength, continually seek him. Lots of you probably, because you live in Asheville, enjoy hiking. Uh, I enjoy hiking. Some of you in this room will do the crazy thing of doing like a 45-mile hike to no lookout. You just end up back at your car. But you're like, man, it's 45 miles of hiking. It's amazing. I'm like, give me a waterfall or a cliff to look over or something on this journey. But you understand the idea of the journey. You're just like, man, I just love the hike. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I want to do. I love the hike. 
And that is where, if the picture that you're seeing with these verses, I mean, search for the Lord and for his strength, continually seek him. If the picture you have in your brain right now is the out-of-breath hiker, Lord, you are really hard to find. There you are. I get this all. Seek you with all my heart thing, because... I'm serious about having a heart attack. Now, okay. But now, what? Keep seeking? Are you serious? Okay. All right. Let's go. Let's keep going. If that's the picture you have right now, it's pretty accurate. I'm, de- I'm just telling you, if that's, if that's the picture you are getting right now, that's pretty good. Because that's the invitation that the Lord calls us on. And here, again, the supernatural mystery of the Christ follower's journey. Matthew 6.33, a verse we've probably read, quoted 50,000 times. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All these things, food, clothing, where you're going to live, how you're going to live, how you're going to get there, what's your job going to be, what all those different things. You know what? All that stuff takes care of itself when your obsession is seeking the Lord. That is the supernatural mystery of the Christ follower's pilgrimage. A pilgrimage is a picture of someone who just keeps moving. <laughs> we have not taken up residency, but we are on the move towards God. When that stirring begins, that is an invitation to say, yeah, things are bad, and I need to pursue him. I don't know what it's going to look like. It could be messy. It could be not what I expected. But the joy of a Christ follower's life is found not in receiving things from him, but actually pursuing him. That is the mystery of the Christ follower's journey. Our joy is in the seeking. I think that freaks us out sometimes because it leaves room for God to do whatever he wants. (laughs) And that's kind of freaky. But that is the joy in seeking the Lord. Um, But I do want to make sure and I want to make it very clear that this whole seeking him thing would never have happened had he not sought us first. This whole desire to seek him would never have been put in us had he not done everything to get to us first. Romans chapter 5 says this, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The Lord is constantly at work arranging times, arranging circumstances, arranging places for you to encounter Him. He is always at work. Always at work. Seek the Lord while He is near, while He may be found. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, continue seeking him with seriousness because unless he wanted you, you would not be wanting him. 
That is the complete opposite picture of... Eh. A picture makes me so angry because I know it's me. I know it's me. But the Lord has said, Seek me with all of your heart and you will find me. With all your heart means you stop listening to Tom Tom and Garmin, you put down your stuff, and you just begin the journey of seeking the Lord. Um, and here's, here's the, the great thing about that invitation, is whether you are someone in this room who calls yourself a Christ follower, you have chosen to turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, or you are someone who has never begun that journey, the invitation is the same, to seek Him. If you have never chosen to follow Christ, here is my invitation to you because of Scripture. Seek the Lord that you may live. Seek the Lord that you may live. Because according to Scripture, every single person who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As a believer, the invitation is seek the Lord. Remain in His love. Remain in the whole abiding thing guys as human beings we were put in this place for him the stirring is him the leading is him the calling is him the pursuing is him I really don't want to be known as that Christian who just is like this I honestly would rather be the the Christ follower who is known for the vein popping out of his neck the shirt ripped, the arm just reaching out as, as, as far and as hard as I can, the, the jeans, uh, the shoes are out of style because, you know, they've got holes in them, they're, there's nothing neat to them, they're just broken. I want to be the guy who's known for that. Just reaching back, pursuing him. In a few minutes, you're going to see tables around this room that have some bread and some juice And every week as Christ followers, one of the things that we do is we remind ourselves of who He is and what He has done and what we have gained from it. And if you are in this place and maybe you have never, never, ever, ever pursued the Lord or thought about pursuing Him or never said, yeah, Jesus, I I do want to seek you. I don't know anything about that. I want to invite you this morning specifically to just when the music is playing and everybody else is going to the the communion tables, if this would be like your, man, I want to sign on for the journey. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm scared. I'm freaked out. I'm confused. I don't know all the answers. You're in good company. (laughs) Ain't nobody in here got all of it together. But if that is you and your heart is like, man, I just want to jump on the journey. I would love to break bread with you this morning specifically right here. I would love to pray for you, encourage you, whatever your next step is in the road of faith might be. And if you don't know the way, again, you are in very good company because there are many who have asked the same question. John chapter 14, Jesus says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. This is where Thomas pipes up. Uh, No, we we don't. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? 
Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Speaking of himself, Jesus was saying that. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Whether you are a person in this room who has done things in your past that no one in this room should ever know about, or you are someone who grew up in a Christian home your entire life, the level playing field at the cross is the same for every single one of us. Jesus answers that problem, that solution. It's the same. It's with himself. It's not with the knowledge about him. It's not with the good, warm, fuzzy thought about him. It's with him crucified on the cross, rose again, so that you and I might taste life and not death. That is his invitation. That is the mysterious, supernatural invitation of the risen Savior. Follow me. So parents, teach your children of this wonderful, supernatural, scary, faith endeavor in Christ. And when your heart is prepared, you're more than welcome to go to one of these corner stations, take the bread, dip it in the juice, remembering Christ's body and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. Father, thank you for your heart for us. Jesus, you love us. You pursued us before we even thought of pursuing you. Father, have your way in us. May we be people that seek you wholeheartedly.